around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery. <laughs> it's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Uh, I've forgotten how to do this while looking at each other during. How long has it been? We're in the room together for the first time. I mean, we did destroy the Falcon together. True. And that counts as a show, but it doesn't count as a show. Yeah. I mean, we weren't facing each other when we did that. We were sitting on a couch facing the camera. Never like to face you during a show. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, we're... Uh, we're doing an IRL record. I don't know if this is going to be the norm, but uh, it's something we like doing from time to time. <laughs> Here's the reap versus sow <laughs> of the day. I get into my car and I'm heading over here and I'm like, yes, this is awesome. We're finally going to do in person again. And as soon as I get on the 10, I'm like, fuck, 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 this is bad. <laughs> you got caught in a hell of a lot of traffic. Yeah. I mean, most of it was in my part of the city. Like once, once I got downtown, it was... It opened up. That never happens. It never happens that it opens up when you get downtown. I mean, that's what happened to me today. Well, I guess this is a podcast. We're talking about Los Angeles specifics Uh that nobody else can relate to. (laughs) Should we talk about the Grove for a little while? Surely people can relate to driving almost an hour to meet their podcast (laughs) co-host for a recording session. (laughs) Adam, something got said on the last greatest discovery that was said without a ton of context Uh and i think we should probably contextualize we just got off the phone with our uh, beloved former producer rob schulte that's right who knows what he did and why (laughs) he has to leave what he did is take another job and he's leaving to do that job which we're very excited about it's a great opportunity for him uh somehow the taint of having worked with us didn't mess up his career for the rest of his life no he's moving up he's moving up not even a lateral move yeah but it's a big enough deal that he's not really gonna have bandwidth to do side hustle type stuff like uh work for us but we are going to be needing a new producer on this show and we will be making an announcement about that at some point soon i know that a a lot of people if it sounds like we're talking about you maybe we are we could be (laughs) Yeah, so uh, our sincere thanks to Robs for being a, a great producer on this show, and uh, congrats to him for uh, moving onward and upward. Ironically, and westward. He, he is moving to L.A. Yeah. <laughs> to do this new job. And, uh, I couldn't talk him out of it. <laughs> Neither could you. Yeah. I like L.A. What's that like? <laughs> I like L.A. <laughs> the first draft of the Randy Newman song yeah. is how I'm feeling about it. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I'll get there eventually. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to get some uh, KBBQ with with Rob when he gets out here. Show, yeah. show him how to live it up in Los Angeles. It's an exciting time for Uxbridge Shimoda, I think. It's a big moment for us, but I think it is a great moment for us. It's going to mean new team members, potentially. Yeah. It's going to mean a different way of doing things going forward. But uh, I'm turning to the camera when I say this. No one should be able to detect uh, a difference in quality. Yeah. Hopefully we keep it pretty seamless from a, a listener perspective. But The uh, same great taste that you've come <laughs> to expect. 
Yeah, I know that Rob's really appreciates all of the uh, the kind words that have been said about him since he uh, made the announcement. We we talked about it a little bit on a Twitch stream recently mm-hmm. with him, and it was really fun to see like the the comments just turn into an outpouring of appreciation for what a great job he did. I don't think Greatest Discovery would have gotten off the ground and and started to fly the way it did without Rob's. Yeah, it's true. He's a very big reason why this show has endured. And it's why I think we're feeling so good about its future. Yeah. Well, uh, we decided to do something a little bit uh, different today. We've been kind of looking at lots of like Trek adjacent things in the off season. That's what we do in the off season. Yeah. And what we decided to do today is watch a Simpsons episode. Kind of Trek adjacent. <laughs> what is it? Season four, episode 12? Yeah, it's called Marge versus the Monorail. Disco, greatest disco. It's a show about discovery. From the town of LA, we are flailing in the off season and just trying to find stuff to do. <laughs> That's great. What I, a nice kickoff to our first in person show together. <laughs> I really like how many little ideas are in this era of The Simpsons. Like, this is like that era of The Simpsons that's a bit like, you know, classic Seinfeld episode where you didn't realize that this bit, this bit, and this bit were all in the same episode. Right. Like, the Homer as Fred Flintstone thing at the beginning of this is fucking great and has nothing to do with the rest of the episode, really. It's funny how, like, the pace of jokes is best in breed fast, but it doesn't come with that same kind of mathematical comedy component that a 30 Rock does. Like, 30 Rock comes with that kind of pace, too, but you're building the joke in your mind when you hear it in a way that The Simpsons works a little bit differently. Like, it still hits as hard and as frequently, but you're not having to build the joke mid-flight. Yeah. Rewatching this episode, I also thought a lot about how influential The Simpsons has been on my own sense of humor and, like, some things about my own sense of humor that I don't love, like how nihilistic it can be. Like, I think that The Simpsons is a show that has stood the test of time because of how much heart it has at the end of the day. Like, it's a show about a family that love each other and support each other, even though they make mistakes. But uh, also, this is an episode where there's like a vat of nuclear waste and they're like, hey, what are we going to do with this nuclear waste? <laughs> it's like... Like Smithers and Burns hiding them in a tree in a public park. I think it's full, sir. That's ridiculous. The last tree held nine drums. I think in the same way that you felt informed by The Simpsons and your comedy sensibility, I feel that same way about Conan O'Brien. Yeah. And seeing his writer-producer credit on screen activated that sense memory in me where, where my comic sensibility was formed in high school and college watching his late night show. Sure. And I think you can sense the similarity in comedy in, in both this episode and other episodes that, that Conan was responsible for on the show. Yeah. And also what he went on to do on Late Night. The like way they treat nuclear waste as like an incredibly almost like gothic nightmare that like all you can do is make fun of it and and joke about it is like is a rhyme that I bit so many times in like drawing little cartoons as a kid, you know. Do you still watch The Simpsons? I do. Yeah, my wife and I do too. It's interesting how similar 
the sensibility about Star Trek and The Simpsons is the way that that goes like it was way better when it first came out or season three or four was awesome, but the new stuff isn't the same. This isn't my Simpsons. Right, exactly. And I've been watching new Simpsons and I love it. Yeah. Just like I love the old Simpsons. Yeah. I mean, I got to say like, if I had to name a Star Trek cast that's my cast, it's Molly Shannon, it's (laughs) Sherry O'Terry, it's Tim Meadows, it's... I was listening to Wayne Fetterman talk to Larry Wilmore on a podcast episode recently, and he is like semi-famously a teacher of stand-up comedy history at USC. Wow. (laughs) And one of the points he was making during this, this interview was that the reason modern audiences can't get past comics is because comedy is made for the time in which it exists. Right. Which doesn't mean you can't criticize it, but it, sure. it, it, it contextualizes why something why stops something... being funny in retrospect. Like, uh, and I've heard like improv comics talk about this. Like there's things that you can like absolutely slay an audience in a UCB theater mm-hmm. with that if somebody shows that video on from their phone to someone else 30 seconds later, they'll be like, this sucks. Mm-hmm. I don't know why anybody would laugh at this, you know? Like, and that's like the comedy of that instant. Like, it's funny because of what is happening in that room at that moment. This isn't me trying to make the case for like, it was funnier when The Simpsons could do a poo. Yeah. And I, I haven't, uh, in my rewatch, I have not gotten to contemporary mm-hmm. uh, Simpsons, but I've I, I understand that they're recasting a lot of the the voices yeah, for that too. characters of color, which is something that probably should have happened years earlier. But, uh, you know. <laughs> you were talking about Mr. Burns squirreling away that barrel of toxic waste with Smithers. And, I, and the thought occurred to me that, like, for how many years have we seen the face of true evil is Mr. Burns? Yeah. And, like, the banality of his evil over decades has like kind of defanged him in a way because like it's funny to watch him operate because his evil is so cartoonish but everything he does is truly awful it's really awful and it's always like literally for an extra dollar or whatever yeah, yeah. Like, the wealthy should be laughed at the way we laugh at mr burns like i yeah. i feel like it should be more instructive to society to laugh at them yeah, they should drop slime on the sharks on Shark Tank. Totally. But like, I I love the bit of them cramming the the nuclear waste in the tree, and then it like pans up, and the tree has tentacles, and a squirrel with glowing eyeball eye, eyeballs comes out of a hole and like shoots an acorn off a branch with its heat vision. <laughs> you can totally see Conan tagging that moment. Yeah, like they throw away little bits like that in this episode that are just. Like, 10 out of 10 funny. I read that Conan just kind of arrived at The Simpsons fully formed. Like, he was the guy making awesome pitches right away. Wow. And, like, first drafting his work into rounded-off perfection extremely fast. He's one of the greats. Yeah. They were like, wow, this guy can really write this cartoon show. Let's give him a late night program. Yeah. I love that Mr. Burns pays his fine in cash, like the joke in the Naked Gun movie. Killing a gang member is only an $18 fine. Just mail it in. He's got it in his front pocket. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is the inciting incident, though. Suddenly the town is flush with this cash. And the question is, what what is Springfield going to do with it? 
There's an obvious answer. That uh, answer isn't improve the town in <laughs> yeah. any demonstrable way. Yeah. Marge Simpson uh, recommends using it to fix up Main Street. We get some pretty funny sight gags about why Main Street is so mm-hmm. shredded and potholed. Uh, I didn't find this part funny. Those those read to me like Seattle City Streets all the way. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the city streets in LA not not a huge improvement on Seattle, but yeah, but you're not getting studded tires in LA, like, right? Like you're getting in Seattle, right. more than they should be used. Yeah, I mean, like I don't know why Homer had that grand piano strapped to the top of his car, but. I mean, if you're going to strap a grand piano to the top of your car, you're going to want to put snow chains on also. Lisa's fantasy about VR headsets in the classroom (laughs) is hilarious to me because of how specific she gets with Genghis Khan and how friendly Genghis Khan is to her in that moment. Yeah. That's the joke to me is that this guy was one of the worst people in history. Yeah. And he's like... (laughs) You go where I go, defile what I defile, eat who I eat. And Bart's fantasy about the killer ants, also good times. Apu wants it to be... Were uh, his fantasies about Skinner always so violent, though? That was the part that struck me about Bart's fantasy, was like, oh, did he always want to kill him? I mean, I think that bad boy Bart Simpson, the the Bart Simpson that made it... A politically tricky maneuver in my house as a kid for me to to negotiate being able to watch The Simpsons. Mm. You know, like parents did not want their their young boys to emulate Bart. And all I wanted to do was emulate Bart. Did you have the Bart Simpson doll with the plastic head? (laughs) I did not. I Um, totally had that doll. I I had no Simpsons stuff because it was like so verbose. Like I really didn't. I think your parents gave you the Lisa, huh? I was probably like 11 before I got to really start digging into the Simpsons. Man. Yeah. This came out January 14th, 1993. So I was 14. I was nine. Shit. (laughs) Wow. I think those three years mean a lot. Yeah. For years, watching The Simpsons followed by In Living Color was a ritual for me. You you missed out on In Living Color too then, didn't you? I did. I did. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Take it up with my mom. (laughs) Oh, I will. Your mom loves me. I think I have that kind of latitude with her. Yeah. Well, if you could build this time machine and take it up with her, you might have a much funnier co-host for your trouble. This is cliche, but the old saying about humorists having hard lives or difficult childhoods being part of the reason they're able to to be as funny as they are in adulthood, I think it would ruin you. (laughs) I like the Ben we've got. My childhood was hard in other ways. Yeah. Get to the money! The meeting seems to kind of coalesce around this idea of uh, of improving Main Street, repaving, doing some uh, some urban renewal, it sounds like. We could blow all our money on a stupid little street, but... The people get so enthusiastic that they are tossing Grandpa Simpson up on their shoulders, uh, despite the fact that he was arguing again it. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> But I think he kind of like melts to the praise and adulation that he's getting eventually. I personally don't think olds should have any say over the uh, futures of their cities. Yeah. No, hold on just one minute. But I thought this was great satire. Like, I think that like, uh, you know, like I've heard from lots of women that they experience this at work, that they come up with a great idea and somebody will repeat it and get the credit for it because he is a dude. And... 
Like, it's very funny that, like, Grandpa Simpson not only is getting the credit and the praise for it, but he also was repeating it so that he could criticize it. (laughs) That moment did not hit me in the same way that it struck you. (laughs) Enter Lyle Lanley, the Phil Hartman character. What a great voice he brings to the table, and... What a what what a great uh, what a great talent! Phil Hartman has those stories about him, not just from The Simpsons, but in everything basically that go something like the perfection of a Phil Hartman performance arrives fully formed. The stories you read about him don't involve gotta rehearse with Phil Hartman until he gets it right. Mm-hmm. He arrives ready to go on the first take. And it's up to you to, like, rise to his level. Conan compared him to being a coffee maker of comedy where you just put the grounds in and you close the <laughs> lid and you the expectation level is so high with him that, that you know exactly what you're going to get wow. at a premium level. Damn. What a great compliment. But also, I read so often about this quality to him that it almost made him seem inscrutable to the people who worked with him. Like he often was so charming and so prepared that a lot of people who, who worked with him for long periods of time didn't really feel like they knew him beyond that surface level. Yeah. I feel like that smells a bit like Gary Shandling, who also was just like a brilliant genius who seemed to... Like almost like the closer you got to the center, the less certain you could be about where the center was. It's so interesting because like such a big part of the Shandling philosophy was like getting rid of that center. Like he was always working on dissolving that self within himself. I never read anything like that about Phil Hartman. I only know this from like seeing documentaries and stuff about both guys, but it, it... um. It reminds me of of, yeah. of, Shand- of what I know of Shandling, so... Yeah, just familiar in that way. Yeah. I come before you good people tonight with an idea. He is here to pitch the town on uh, the construction of a monorail. Uh, he's put these up all over the country. They're great for small towns. They really, they really make them a destination. Can I just say, coming from Seattle, one of the notable monorails in the country... Yeah. It doesn't do shit. <laughs> It is a total, like, tourist ride thing. It, it might as well have been the, the Great Wheel before the Great Wheel in Seattle. It yeah. goes 12 blocks, and it goes from Seattle Center to Westlake Center to, like, kind of malls. Like, <laughs> Westlake Center for a long time wasn't even what I would consider a mall. But, yeah. like, what's so aggravating about it is the potential of it, especially as Seattle became more dense. Right. Like, because it's easy to put up poles in the middle of a street that a monorail can be on. And so, like, one if, would think if you wanted to make it a high capacity form of public transportation, it's actually like a lot more cost effective than digging tunnels and making subways or, or digging tunnels and putting Tesla Model X's down there to like drive people around the fucking Las Vegas Convention Center. For a time, there was talk about extending the monorail into several stops and making it more of a commuter platform. It just never never got traction. <laughs> One of the most frustrating things in the entire world is how unwilling voting blocks seem to be to expand public transportation. Well, you're a, you're a total simp for public transportation. I really And I imagine you would have been pro-monorail in this town hall meeting. 
I would have wanted like a, you know, a longitudinal study about safety and environmental impacts. Sure. I mean, Lisa Simpson makes a, a great point. Like, why would we need it in a dense, uh, small town environment? <laughs> like, if you're a big fan of The Simpsons, are you a simp for The Simpsons? Oh, yeah, I guess you are. Are you more of a simp for The Simpsons or a simp for uh, mass transit? <laughs> Boy, hard to say. Hard to know in what way you're more of a simp. I th- I think you know you 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 drill down to the core of me. It's like a simp for blank right. at, at my core, like, and and that's <laughs> why it's so hard simping? to know me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Lyle puts this town meeting under his spell that involves uh, a fun musical number, mm-hmm. but then. Part of the spell he's able to cast is like he's given audience with Lisa's classroom. (laughs) And I'm just trying to think of any other situation where a public works project would be (laughs) sold at that level. (laughs) And I also kind of want it to work that way. (laughs) Like if you can't sell the third graders. Yeah. Maybe your project shouldn't go. Yeah. Why aren't the Metro board members testing their ideas out in uh, right. in public schools all over the city? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, of course, the announcement is made that they need to recruit conductors for the monorail. And uh, we, the advertisement for this is uh, almost comically, I would say it is comically, targeted at one man. <laughs> March, I want to be a monorail conductor. Oh, no. I love that late night television quality that I wonder if you get anymore of the trade school program. Like anymore, it's it's like a nursing school or, or technical college right. vibe. Yeah. Like be a dental hygienist. Work in a doctor's world. Yeah. The, uh, the end of the training sesh is uh, Lyle Leland explaining the... <laughs> the etymology of the word monorail and kind of randomly selecting Homer as the conductor as he looks in his notebook, which has just a drawing of stick figure Lyle Leland heading off to Tahiti with bags of money. It's a real American psycho type of scene. (laughs) It really is. Start to suspect that something might be amiss with this guy. Yeah. I mean, all the the scenes of cartoon Lyle... With bags of money and then, like, a chainsaw going through Homer's skull. Mono means one, and rail means bone. And that concludes our intensive three-week course. Stick figure, Lyle Leland returning videotapes. Right. (laughs) I love Marge's do-goodiness being fairly consistent throughout the episode, right? She's the first one to raise her hand and be like, hey, Main Street. And then she defends Main Street thoroughly. Yeah. And then after seeing the notebook, she's like, I get a weird whiff off of this guy. Let's go check out North Haverbrook to see if the story hangs together. Like, did the monorail really make North Haverbrook great again? Uh-huh. And, uh, and what she finds is that the promise of Manaha, is that what the, the make North Haverbrook great again hat I, would be? I guess so, yeah. Is a, is a lie. It destroyed North Haverbrook. People I, don't want to talk about it. They, the whole town has been rebranded around its monorail, and and it's so bombed out and fucked up. And the the monorail ran once, and it was a complete disaster. It's still dangling from its track. There's such an economy of character development here because you meet a few of the characters in North Haverbrook, and they each get like 
the first lady just gets the laugh but like right. the next person you meet you know everything about her in about two sentences <laughs> and i love that yeah uh marge meets a german accented scientist with crazy scientist hair who claims to be the person that like did all the engineering for lyle leland who cut every corner in the design of the monorail Lightly hired me to build his monorail I believe the common denominator of the universe is not harmony, but chaos, hostility, and murder. Mr. Cobb, what can we do? Why should he be trusted, this Sebastian Cobb? I mean, he he all but admits he is part of the fault of this, and then he shows Marge the wreckage of the monorail. Yeah. Well, he's like a, he's like a tobacco company whistleblower. Oh, yeah. I just don't know why he walks up to the, like, mom that drove her station wagon into town and is like, I have something horrible to confess. (laughs) There's no stopping this project, though, because the monorail's been built and we're ready for its grand opening. This is where uh, we kind of start setting the table for the arrival of Leonard Nimoy in the episode. Uh, An early shot here is uh, when Sebastian Cobb says that, like, the, the last cut corner Leland cut was having Gallagher be the celebrity endorser uh, when they when they unveiled the monorail in North Haverbrook. That's great. So we know that it's only going to be like marginal at best celebrities and uh, what we get is like a fake 90210 type character. Obviously Krusty the Clown is always uh, included in these Springfield celebrity events and then Grand Wizard of the <laughs> The oh, event. oh boy <laughs> what do they call it yeah no let's go with that <laughs> in grand all, marshall in all of his robed glory yeah. yeah it's uh it's leonard nimoy and this is like the running gag here is that leonard nimoy is not that famous like the the mayor keeps saying the wrong shit about you know may the force be with us and stuff I think it tells you a lot about Leonard Nimoy's sense of humor that that he would be game for this sort of ribbing. Yeah. Because the runway is is the parade of unpopular stars. Right. And then and then the the punchline is Nimoy. Yeah. And and he is perfectly happy to get roasted and yeah. they roast the hell out of him. Yeah. <laughs> he episode. wasn't even the show's first choice. Wow. They were like George Takei would be great for this and George Takei was like I actually work on the Los Angeles Metro board. <laughs> he does. I, I signed a non-disparagement clause with them, meaning <laughs> I cannot make fun of them in any way. <laughs> and so Takei like wanted rewrites and stuff, and they were like, "No, we're not going to rewrite that. This, this is actually really good." Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, but Leonard Nimoy was game, and it's great that he was. The monorail takes off with all of the celebrity passengers aboard. And uh, Marge and Sebastian pull up uh, just a little too late to to call it all off. This monorail is really nice inside, though. Like, the bar car looks like a real fun hang. Yeah. It does have that classic train yeah. sensibility in there. Boy, if that Seattle monorail had a bar car, how fun would that be to just go back and forth from the Space Needle to downtown getting turnt on the fucking monorail? It'd be great. Seattle can't have nice things, though. <laughs> You think LA has any good public transportation things? I think you can drink on the bus in LA. I've heard yeah. you can do that. Yeah, I mean it's it's frowned upon, but it's not technically against the rules. 
coincidentally to this, Lisa sees Lyle leaving with a suitcase full of cash. So his escape has been insured to this yeah. point. Yeah. The the deal is the monorail is speeding up and its gears have fallen off and wires have broken inside of it and there's no way to stop it. It's not a train. It's a missile the size of the Chrysler building. And uh, this kind of turns into a uh, like an airplane parody where right uh, we've got like the the mayor and the police chief and the control center arguing over jurisdiction and and uh, who who is in charge of what when. <laughs> And uh, you've got like Homer in the in the cab hauling on the brakes, not able to slow this thing down. Wiggum has always been funny. Yeah. He's one of the best characters on the show. I love how a cab the Simpsons have always been like, like they have never had a single ounce of respect for law enforcement. They've done such a great job at making Wiggum such a sympathetic character over the years. And it's been like a long arc. Yeah. To that he is an idiot and a dope and he's bad at his job but like they've developed his character like he is a sympathetic character later on like <laughs> yeah. i really do have a great affection for him yeah yeah i saw an episode recently i think it was like within the last couple of seasons where like <laughs> he can't bend over for some reason so when he drops <laughs> his gun on the ground he can't go get it and then his pants fall off and he can't pull them up and then snake crawls through his legs to escape while committing a crime and he's like this is the most embarrassing thing ever and then he he looks behind him and like a high school sweetheart of his spots him and he, she's like gee wiggum i haven't seen you since graduation oh man i feel like any simpsons podcast could just do a this was a great joke yeah <laughs> retelling like i just did yeah but there's so many moments like that in any simpsons episode that just they're hilarious so uh there's an uh, argument over who's in charge of what when the uh the town charter gets pulled but eventually Marge and uh, Sebastian get on the radio with Homer and suggest that what he needs to do is find a way to make an anchor. Oh, and also there's the the total solar eclipse mm-hmm. gag where the the uh, monorail stops briefly because it's solar powered. A solar eclipse. The cosmic ballet goes on. Does anyone want to switch seats? But then the eclipse ends and nobody has done anything to stop it from starting again. Right. <laughs> But anyways, Homer uh, pulls the M off the side of the train, uh, attaches it to a lasso rope that a, a cowboy has on board. They uh, they drag it through town, and uh, you know it's like cutting through traffic. It cuts down Springfield's oldest tree, which crushes the log cabin where Jebediah Springfield was born. It severs some conjoined twins. Yeah, really gets Doctor Hibbert off the hook. Hibbert's probably pissed because he doesn't get to bill for that, right? Right, right. Uh, but it catches on uh, the iconic big donut that uh, is based on a real uh, real store here in L.A. Yeah. Whose uh, owner is friends with my in-laws. What? I was once over at a dinner party at my in-laws' house, and I was talking to an older man, and I was like, what do you do for a living? And he told me that he owned that donut place. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I was shocked. Felt like I'd met a celebrity. That's donut, big fun. That donut place is hella famous. Not famous enough 
nor is the is the guy someone you'd like to give a plug to. I can't remember what the <laughs> name of it is. I don't eat donuts. Come on. You look like you eat donuts. <laughs> Damn. Um, I eat bagels. That's why I look like this. Mm. You get a real bagel body. I do. So the the uh, monorail is stopped. The people are jumping off of it, like onto those uh, inflatable airplane ramps. I really regret never being able to take that ride when I worked for a big airplane company. Yeah, I had a couple of near misses. Not like actually being in, like actually needing to, to use one, <laughs> but I mean, like for testing and video projects and stuff. I always wanted to, and I never got to. Does it, I? I always wondered if it costs like a shitload to deploy one of those. It does, which is why, I mean, it costs a lot for an air carrier to deploy one unnecessarily because it, it means a plane is down for a while to right to uh, to replace it. You got to pack it back in. And... Yeah. It's so frustrating to pack up a, a sleeping bag. I can't imagine how much worse it is with, yeah, with yeah. one of those uh, emergency slides. So, you know, we should probably talk about the end of Lyle Leland, right? Right. His plane lands for an unscheduled stop in North Haverbrook and the pitchforks of the townspeople are out. Like they're out on short final when the plane's coming in. Yeah. I mean, this is like, this is such a pre-9-11 joke, right? Because the angry mob can get on board with their pitchforks. They don't have to go through TSA. What? Wow. Yeah. And Lyle Lanley savagely murdered on board an aircraft (laughs) by a group of townspeople. Yeah. It really cuts to the wide shot on Lyle Lanley. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep. The monorail stopped in the middle of town. Leonard Nimoy says, uh, my job is done here. Gets called on that by, by Barney. You didn't do anything. <laughs> didn't I? Barney, who was like project foreman during the construction of the monorail, <laughs> I thought was a great bit. Yeah. This is a great era for Barney jokes, too. Like... Another like really nihilistic thing that The Simpsons does is how how much fun they make of just being an alcoholic yeah. as a funny thing. <laughs> like when when like Barney is like walking down the street and spats in a three piece suit with like a watch chain in his vest, and and it's like that's what Barney looks like when he's not drinking. Yeah, and like the moment a beer bottle touches his lips, like his hair gets disheveled and yeah. his clothes fly off. Yeah. Uh- I was poking around the Simpsons wiki for a while, and that's a great place to get lost if you're just looking wow. for, yeah, I bet. like, to reacquaint yourself with the the greater Simpsons universe. I was shocked that Barney was listed as Homer's best friend. Is that how you think of him? Because it isn't how I think of him. I mean, and I don't know who I would name as his best friend, really. They went to NASA together, Adam. I mean, yeah. what could make best better friends than that? Yeah. Hosting a Star Trek podcast? Yeah, I mean, we're fine. <laughs> the final bit of the episode, the the button, if you will, is a a zoom out uh, to, you know, the 30,000 foot view of Springfield showing all of the other insane things that they've spent tons of money on. Another classic bit that I like could have guessed was in three different other episodes. Right. Like it's it's a little reminiscent of the Mr. Burns builds a thing to block out the sun idea. The the like giant magnifying glass lighting the popsicle stick skyscraper on fire. I mean, there's been so many episodes and so many storylines when the eclipse happens 
my mind went to, is this also the episode where Mr. Burns blocks out the sun? Yeah. Like, it all just kind of mushes together. Totally. They they get it across the finish line, and I love the credits running over just the audio of people on the escalator to nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> falling off the edge of it. Having as much time as they need to not go over the edge. <laughs> well, you can get in big trouble for going the wrong way on an escalator. That, that third guy, especially, if yeah. you're like, there's a pause at the top, and yeah, then he goes yeah. over. Um, you I definitely want... have that third guy energy. I do, then. yeah. I once got kicked out of the National Air and Space Museum for running up a down escalator. How dare you? Yeah. Can't do that. Ejected on a middle school trip. I was I was in detention for a week for that one. You had to go sit in the bus while everyone else enjoyed the exhibits? I, I had to just stand outside because there weren't any like authority figures around from my school. So I just stood on the steps and when they like got everybody together in the lobby and I wasn't present, they thought I would like run away or something. <laughs> they were you know, real mad at me. Explains why you have it out for docents. Yeah. Every I, time we're in a museum. Oh, I hate a docent. Hate docents. Hate them so much. Those wow. Docents. They think they're so great. Ben, I know uh, your great antipathy for docents is clear to all, <laughs> but did you like the episode? Oh, man, I love this episode. I loved rewatching it. I was really worried that there wasn't going to be... Like, I was like, man, there might be, like, so little Nimoy in this that Uh we're going to feel weird and embarrassed doing it for the show. But then I was like, no, this is just a fun episode of The Simpsons. And Nimoy does have a bunch of jokes, and there's, like, some Star Trek jokes among them. So I don't feel that bad about it. I've been watching so much Simpsons lately with my wife that I was really looking for an excuse to do an episode for the show. <laughs> and so I'll admit that like I I had I had that reason. Like I wanted to force it into uh, uh-huh. into the show and I'm glad we did and I'm glad it wasn't like there was enough Leonard Nimoy here yeah. for it to count, I think. I think it counts. I yeah. think it counts. Uh did you love it? I did, of course. Like this is from I continue to love The Simpsons even now, but this is like to those that study such things, like this is from the heyday of the show. This was like the classic period where it remained for many years and and you can see why. It's so much fun and it's so joke dense and it's so smart and dumb. Yeah. Like it's not just smart and it's not just dumb. It's that perfect sweet and salty (laughs) that makes food taste good. Uh, It's the same quality that makes... That makes comedy work for me, I It's think. crunchy choco shells and soft tortillas in one box. It really is. You know what else I love, Adam, is Priority One messages. Let's go to the inbox to see what's going on in there. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a personal nature. It is from Herbie Spicy. It is to Richard Valet. Mm. Sounds fancy. The message goes like this. Average one is yingling, and the good one is actually great. One of my favorite seasonals. Hmm. Highlands Cold Mountain. What is wrong with this message? It seems like uh, it began mid-sentence. Yeah. It almost seems like it was, like, copy-pasted, but they didn't get the entire message into into the form we have here or something. Average one is yingling... And the good one is actually great. Well, I mean, I I like a nice seasonal beer. I don't personally care for Yingling that much, and I know that that will get a battery thrown at me. Oh, shit. By the Philadelphians, but uh, 
That's uh, that's that's one of their favorite Johns out there. It's just not one of my favorite Johns. I like lots of things about Philadelphia, just not Yingling. I like a Yingling or or similar beer. Like that is just my my kind of beer that I like. Just a crushable lager slash pilsner. It's too bready for me. I th- I feel like it's it's too bready to be crushable, and that's my problem. Mm. That's, therein lies my personal gripe with yingling wow but i bet they have a seasonal that's good maybe you'd like highlands cold mountain which is what herbie spicy is talking about here yeah well i'm not trying to offend herbie spicy or richard valet they sound like fancy people yeah and uh i hope you enjoy your seasonal yinglings or whatever you're talking about nothing wrong with any of this just two good friends talking about beers yeah that's okay it's a. It's okay to like a beer that I don't like, and it's okay for me to not like a beer that you like. You don't have to yuck someone else's yummy beer. <laughs> I'm not saying it's universally bad the way I say about sandwiches and cake. You don't have to yuck someone else's John. I'm just saying it's not my personal preference. Not your John. Cake and cake and sandwiches are just bad. People should stop having them. Adam, our next priority one message is from T. Earl Grey, hot. And it's to Captain Jean-Luc Picard, comma, Starfleet, comma, UFP. I was like this. He's off, dude. Try another beverage. Hot chocolate? Ractagino latte, maybe? Have you ever had a Just-A-Cola? Honestly, you have a replicator. You could make literally anything. But you have to make the same thing like six times a day. How about Crystal Pepsi? Frankly, I don't give a shit what you try, but try something. Figure it out. I need a fucking break. I had not heard of Just a Cola. I looked it up. It was an energy drink made by PepsiCo. Wow. Between 95 and 99, and that explains why I never had it. I feel like I never really had energy drinks until college. Was that a, a competitor to Jolt Cola? You know what? Now that I see the branding, look at that. That does look familiar to me. The red with the black cat, like the panther. That makes me really think it's a competitor to Jolt Cola. Yeah. That The extra caffeine cola of the 90s. Yeah. I remember being fascinated by weird sodas with extra caffeine, but I wasn't allowed to have them. Another thing that I was deprived of as a child. <laughs> Did you ever have Raven's Revenge? Nope. That was a candy that was like a test tube full of powdered sugar oh, no. that tasted different ways and uh, I don't know if it still exists or not but it was uh, that was something I, I convinced my parents to let me get oh no Yeah. I cannot believe you were able to successfully convince your parents to give you test tube powders Yeah. and you weren't allowed to go into a grocery store to have a canned beverage of your choosing that's the, nuts a candy very much designed to evoke like designer drugs yeah. in the 90s and somehow that one slipped past the goalie <laughs> anyways uh thanks to everyone that uh sent in a p1 uh whether you are herby spicy or tea earl gray hot we really appreciate uh the support uh, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron if you'd like to get a P1 on The Greatest Discovery. We really appreciate it. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner 
in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below-the-kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself and Edward Larkin? I'm going to give it to the conjoined twins who get separated. Mm -hmm. The gag of uh, like, hey, this is great. High five. Uh, <laughs> when the anchor cable gets dragged through them and uh, easily does what Dr. Hibbert is, is explaining is going to be a long, expensive process uh, is really funny to me. That's my favorite gag in the episode. It's a great gag. I love the sound. <laughs> yeah, good sound. I think my Edward Larkin is as close to 
being an Edward Larkin as we've ever had, maybe. Wow. Because Lyle Lanley is Edward Larkin in this episode. He's trying to sell the town on his idea, and his idea yeah. is a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then really he, true. and then he ends up being hoisted on his own monorail, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> on his own tribble. Yeah. So I think uh, I think I found their character compatibilities very simpatico. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, great Larkin, Adam. I miss Phil Hartman. I miss him too. Wow, well, it's been a long time since we've had to do our own end credits on this show. Have have we ever done them? I'll record them. Okay. Uh, Well, uh, get ready, listener, because here come the end credits of the episode. Here comes today's special (laughs) editor-producer. It'll be a surprise every time. The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. The show wouldn't be possible without your generous support, and we thank those who go to MaximumFun.org join to support The Greatest Discovery on a monthly subscription-style basis. Thanks also to Adam Ragusea, who made our theme and interstitial music. When he's not making music for us, Adam can be found cooking food on his wildly popular YouTube channel for his millions of subscribers. Be sure to follow... At Greatest Trek on Twitter and Instagram, those accounts are a regular source of fun thanks to Bill Tilly, our social media director. Fans of the show call themselves Friends of DeSoto, and you can make friends with them at the many fan-created communities on Discord at DrunkShimoda.com, Facebook, Reddit, and all the rest. At the time of this recording, it's the off-season of new Star Trek programming until Lower Decks comes back and... August of 2021. In the meantime, we'll be here talking about a Star Trek-related show, movie, or comic book every couple of weeks. What surprises are in store in the weeks ahead? Find out next time on The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.